Hi, I'm Bob Witte with KPND in Sandpoint, Idaho. If I can be a fan of Skylight Books, LA's world-famous independent bookstore, from way up here in the Idaho Panhandle, then you can too from wherever you are. Visit the website, buy some books. You can even join their membership club and reap the benefits of supporting independent booksellers. Thanks. softer side meet me on the softer side softer side of your heart hi there and welcome to the skylight books author reading series you can find out about this and all of our other author events at www.skylightbooks.com where you can also browse our inventory as well as order books online you can also follow us on Twitter or even be our friend at Facebook.com. If you'd like to talk to a real person, we can be reached at 323-660-1175. And don't forget, Skylight Books depends on listeners like you to help support us. So whether you're in our neighborhood or browsing online, buy a book or two to help ensure that we'll be around for a long, long time. Thanks and enjoy. But today we are here for Margot Lightman. New Jersey native Margot Lightman is a four-time winner of the Moth Story Slam and was the Moth Grand Slam winner in New York City. Yeah. <laughs> you know she's behind there, right? Okay. She's waiting for the applause and stuff. So just you know, so she, really she's like listening. She's looking through that to see who's actually clapping for her or not. So just you know, her stories have been featured on the Moth Podcast, NPR's Good Food, and in print in Playgirl magazine. Yes, when it was a magazine. So you know, she's been writing for a while, and the New York Press, among others. Along with her husband, she is a co-writer of the Hallmark movie Cupid's Bed and Breakfast. How romantic, ladies and gentlemen. Please welcome Margot. Lightman. Hi. Wow. There's a lot of people here. I'm very excited. That's good. I'm very tall. Uh, hi. Thank you for coming. Uh, this is to my book signing. This is uh, Gawky Tales in an Extra Long Awkward Phase. Uh, I'm going to read from you a little portion of it. What the book's entire premise is about it starts with a growth spurt I had in fourth grade where I uh, Ended, I started the year at five feet tall and I ended the year at five foot six and it kind of shaped a lot of my youth. Uh, it's not that cool when you're a girl to be giant uh, as a kid. And the things that unfolded from there. And, uh, and it all takes place in the late 80s and goes through the 90s. And so it's all sort of pop culture of a time that many of us, you know, it's sort of unmemorable, the early 90s, a time of Velvet DeVoe and Color Me Bad and things like that and hypercolor t-shirts, a time we don't really think about or <laughs> and those fashions like never come back, um, interestingly. So that's the, what the entire book, where the entire book takes place, which is a lot of fun. And I thought I'd read from you a little bit and then we'll do a Q&A and hopefully you guys will buy books and I'll sign them. And I think that's it. I've never done one of these before, so I think that's how they work. Um, 
it's so weird for me to read. I'm used to either telling a story on stage with no notes or writing alone with like my dog in my lap and possibly a drink and thinking I'm like the second coming of Ernest Hemingway. Uh, <laughs> like after the third drink, I'm like, I'm amazing. So this is really, uh, this is weird for me to read in public. So I'm going to try. So I'm going to read from you from uh, chapter six. Uh, the title is A Leak Out Pregnancy. And um, what's happened right before this is I've had my most humiliating moment ever in middle school so far, so far, in which I uh, start, try to start a protest against the Gulf War in the cafeteria by singing uh, Give Peace a Chance, and no one has joined me. Um, and I sang alone. And, uh, and I, so this chapter begins, I fake sick from school <laughs> because it's so humiliating, and then I come back to school, and then this is what happens. Two days after my horrifying one-person Gulf War cafeteria protest, I went back to school. My mental health day was quite enjoyable. I found a bunch of great albums in my dad's record cabinet. The Doors, Led Zeppelin, The Allman Brothers, Santana. I had my own classic rock soundtrack as I ate lunch alone at our kitchen table and used all my brain power to stop reliving the Gulf War solo protest over and over in my head. But alas, my vacay was not open-ended. When I returned to school, Chad Decker, Decker and the other cool popular boys decided, tried to hang on to torturing me about it, but like color-changing, touch-sensitive, hyper-color t-shirts, the incident quickly faded. Besides, the war ended. Before many of the baseball hats, bumper stickers, and trading cards commemorating it have ever been mass-marketed, I thought it was strange to have fun wartime mementos like trading cards. Albeit brief, it was still a war, after all. And I had nowhere near the same passion to trade these stupid cards with American eagles and yellow ribbons on them as I had for the garbage, garbage pail kids of my younger years. Thankfully, the hallway discussion soon moved to how my classmate, B student, Teresa Caramonico, had not gone to study abroad, but instead had a baby. This is seventh grade. It had seemed strange to me that Teresa was studying abroad, yet no one knew exactly what country she had taken off to. And we were all wondering where she had gotten the money for her vague, possibly European semester away. Now it all made sense. I guess those elementary school assemblies had not properly scared her straight. Teresa Caramonica's story terrified me, as I had been sneaking out on a regular basis to, to the vacant lot down the street to make out and play guitar with Jonah Hertzberg. Jonah Hertzberg was amazing at guitar, even though he was missing a finger. <laughs> I sucked at guitar, even with a full set of fingers, and used it more as an accessory. Surprisingly, even my makeout sessions with Jonah Hertzberg had lasted longer than the Gulf War. And still no one in school knew about us. It was for the best. We were just two weird kids born in the wrong era who had found each other. The Gulf War ended way too soon for our big plans to pen protest songs, and there was no t time for us to write a hit anti-war ballad in the style of John and Yoko. War was over. It didn't matter if we wanted it. So instead, we did what we knew best. We snuck down to the vacant lot and made out and turned our discussions toward music with frequent arguments over who was the superior guitarist, Eddie Van Halen or Eric Clapton. I voted for Eric Clapton, not because I truly knew he was better, but because my father had a lot of his records and I really admired his fashion sense. And oh, he was hot. I didn't care that Eric Clapton was old and damaged from years of cocaine use and not cool for young girls in the early 90s to like. What were my contemporary alternatives? Was I supposed to pine over Millie Vanilli? Oh, please. I'll take an old man with a Coke problem and a suede jacket any time over some phony baloney pop stars. Oh, gross. <laughs> Meanwhile, the girls in school were moving forward with boys pretty quickly. They all seemed to pair off with boyfriends, and many were doing things like going to second base and even sloppy second base where the boy touches the girl's boob with his mouth. 
This sex act sound, seemed remarkably close to breastfeeding, <laughs> a stage in parenting that my mother always publicly referred to, to as one of the happiest times of my life. <sighs> the thought of Jonah Hertzberg suckling my non-existent boob gave me about the same level of sexual excitement as the birthing video I had averted my eyes to in health class. It was, I was too busy for sloppy, sloppy second base anyway. I was now learning both the major and minor chords on the guitar, studying modern dance, and modeling my outfits after Stevie Nicks. Still too. <laughs> no one's mouth was anywhere near my boobs, even though thanks to my height, my barely boobs landed at most boys' mouth level. <laughs> I was having much more fun with Jonah Hertzberg anyway. After our jam sessions, we would make out and our bodies would get really close. I had felt something move down there only through the clothes and was constantly worried that something would leak out of him. I, was, I often wondered while Jonah Hertzberg denim, denim clad groin rubbed up against mine, did my pregnant classmate Teresa Caramonico actually have intercourse? Because according to our health classes, you didn't need to have sex to get pregnant. Our super intense health teachers told us a toilet seat, heavy petting, and dry humping could impregnate you. <laughs> I had no choice but to believe them. And after that all too vivid birthing video, I certainly did not want to fall victim to pregnancy via toilet seat or any other method for that matter. The week of that newly hot, she comes earlier, the week of the newly hot hair girl, you have to read the book to know who she is, hair girl's party. I was aware that my period was a little late, but the constant chatter of Teresa Caramonico's situation made me take it in a little more seriously. The next day, I turned to the free cat wall calendar I had gotten from the local Chinese restaurant, and I counted off, only to discover that my period was in fact a whole two weeks late. Two weeks! Never mind the fact that I'd, that I'd never even seen a man naked besides that awkward time I went to see the crying game with my parents. <laughs> Never mind the fact that I'd never gone beyond second base above the shirt. Never mind all of that. I was 13. I was two weeks late with my period. I was a whore. <laughs> For nearly a month, I carried this weight around. I was sure I was pregnant with Jonah Hertzberg's baby. What other possible explanation could there be? Our bodies were so close when we made out, something could have leaked out. Recently in the dark, Jonah Hertzberg couldn't see so well, and he accidentally frenched my cheek. Could the angle have affected things? He was a few inches shorter, which fell directly below my crotch. Had I been wearing thick enough pants to every makeout session? Oh, a quarter I probably would have prevented any leakage, but what about my new velvet leggings? Granted, velvet is one of the thickest fabrics aside from burlap, but leggings really bring out your crotch. Oh, I was totally screwed. I had to tell someone, but who? The girls from the horrible love of a lifetime circle were not to be trusted. My parents weren't even an option. We weren't that kind of family. We didn't have free-spirited, anything-goes conversations about our sexual journeys while passing around a rain stick. Oh. <laughs> And my brother, Greg, he was too busy remaking Tim Burton films into his own creations, such as Gregory Egwist cans. <sighs> Jonah, Jonah Hertzberg was a no. I wanted to keep my cool image with the only person who actually thought I was cool. Finally, I came up with someone I could tell. The only person who wouldn't judge me. I could tell Alyssa, my big boobed friend up the block. She'd know where I could get a cheap back alley abortion with the money I'd saved from <laughs> babysitting those wretched twin girls down the street. I picked up the tan, clunky telephone in my parents' bedroom to call her. I had asked repeatedly for my own line, but my parents refused to cave. I had then started begging for a phone in my room, maybe a cute multicolored one, like they gave out its consolation prizes on Double Dare, but <sighs> alas, there was no phone jack in there. When I asked them to upgrade to a cordless so I could bring the phone into my room, they told me that the tan phone worked just fine and there was no need to replace it. So I was reduced to hiding in their bedroom whenever one of them wasn't lying around in bed doing a New York Times crossword puzzle knowing I could be walked in on at any moment. 
began to dial Alyssa's number, which I had committed to memory on the second she gave it to me on the first day of middle school while waiting for Randy, the bus driver, at the bus stop. And then I remembered it was Saturday. The Sabbath. Shit, it was Shabbos, the Jewish day of rest. On Saturdays, Alyssa's family didn't use the phone or TV or drive or cook. Sometimes they would even slip me some cash to come over and use their electrical appliances to make their dinners. <laughs> I loved those nights. Being made to feel magical by simply turning on an oven was just the ego boost I needed at that point in my life. Though someone had viewed this as sacrilegious, I saw it as a great way to make a dime while hanging out with Alyssa. It certainly beat babysitting those bratty twins who wanted to watch Look Who's Talking every single time I came over. Oh, I'll take turning on a Jewish oven and a dishwasher anytime over, over re-watching forced sexual tension between two puffy Scientologists. <laughs> I had no choice but to, they wanted to cut that line. They said it was controversial and I fought to leave it. Okay, good, I'm glad. <laughs> I had no choice but to walk to Alyssa's house. The seven-minute walk felt as long as that faithful, fateful viewing of the crying game with my folks. As I knocked on Alyssa's door, I thought to myself, please be home. I have to take care of this. The fetus is growing inside of me. I can feel it. <laughs> my fist trembled as I knocked, intentionally not using the doorbell in order not to show off my unlimited electrical rights during Shabbos. Lucky for me, Alyssa answered the, answered the door wearing a tight black t-shirt that hugged her C-cup boobs just, show, just so. Can I come in, I asked, my heart racing. Sure, she said smiling at me with those perfect teeth that didn't even require braces. She must have been relieved, I'm sure, to have a visitor from the outside world of electricity users. Shabbos always had a, la a laissez-faire connotation to me, so I was relieved I wasn't crossing any religious boundaries by popping in on the, on the day of the Sabbath. We sat on the couch, I looked around for any family members lurking, and then mustered all my strength to confess to her my dirty, dark secret. Alyssa, I think I'm pregnant. I French kissed Jonah Hertzberg in the vacant lot last month, and I haven't gotten my period since. Our body were, bodies were really close. Something could have leaked out. I'm sure I am. A woman knows. <laughs> Alyssa took a moment, soaked in the bomb that was just dropped, and assessed the situation. Jonah Hertzberg and I were hardly boyfriend and girlfriend. We were just two people, nostalgic for a time we never experienced firsthand, who liked to make out with each other. Alyssa now had to process the hot gossip that I had been making out with Jonah Hertzberg on a regular basis, and that I was with child. It seemed like an eternity as I sat there waiting for advice from the neighborhood sexual guru. She let out a big sigh and then finally gave a verdict. <sighs> well, it sounds to me like you're definitely pregnant. <laughs> what you need to do is call the 1-800 number on the back of your box of Tampax and they'll tell, tell you where to go to take care of it. <laughs> you mean you don't know where to go? No, she said, but the ladies at Tampax will. I'm sure of it. That's why they have the number on the box. Everyone knows that. Are you going to tell Jonah? I don't know. I'm not sure. I, I'll try, I, I'm trying to keep him out of it. I don't want to freak him out. Good idea, said the object of every seventh grade boy's sexual fantasy. Try to remain cool with Jonah. I left Alyssa's house and walked home, feeling my unborn child grow within me with each nervous step. Sure that I was the most fertile girl in town, aside from Teresa Caramonica. At home, I frantically pawed through the linen closet, searching for a box of Tampax, tiny soaps and mini shampoos flying everywhere. Oh, I never understood why my dad hoarded them if he never intended to use them. Whenever I asked, he would just say, someday. 
I felt using the soaps was a very attainable dream, but to my dismay, he never went for it. I occasionally used them, but the si tiny size of the soap only made my body feel larger, like a giant in a dollhouse. I wondered if this is why no one else in my Amazonian home ever used them. Finally, behind a universe of tiny lotions and various Ramada in soaps, I found one box of Tampax supers. Ugh, gross. Supers were for ladies with larger than average vaginas, which was the direction mine was heading if I ended up giving birth to Jonah Hertzberg's baby. I never wanted to be caught with a super feeding the stereotype that tall girls have big vaginas. As stupid Chad Decker had said on more than one occasion. I found the 1-800 number on the box, snuck into my parents' bedroom, closed the door, and dialed the tan clunky telephone. A nice operator lady picked up the phone right away. Panic-stricken, I summoned the courage to blurt out, can you please help me? I'm 13 years old. My period is two weeks late, and just one month ago I made out with Jonah Hertzberg, and our bodies were really close. Something must have leaked out. I'm pregnant, right? Silence. I worried that the Tampax lady, like Alyssa, might have similar concerns regarding my social standing, so I said, don't worry, I haven't told Jonah. <laughs> well, did you actually have sex with this Jonah? She asked. No. That would be gross, I said. At one point, he did French my cheek. Could the angle have affected things? No, the angle could not have affected things. I let out a breath I didn't know I'd been holding as she explained on. Well, miss, you may not know this, but it's very common in young girls to have irregular menstrual periods at first. Silence. Irregular? Whatever. Was I pregnant or not? The Tampax lady continued. Sweetheart, a leak out pregnancy, as you call it, is highly unlikely, <laughs> and in any case would have to have had to involve nudity at the very least. You're definitely not pregnant. Calm down. Everything is going to be okay. It was going to be okay? Really? Was it really? Was everything going to be okay? Because okay to me meant happily starting my weekend over French toast with my family before socializing at the sunny park with my many, many friends who loved me. Instead, I was spending a beautiful Saturday alone on the phone with a middle-aged stranger whose job it was to field calls about menstrual blood. Thinking about how I had managed to already be a huge disappointment to humanity, again, I had no words. Uh, miss? Miss, are you there? Ugh, yes. I said, clearing my throat. I'm here. Why couldn't I just say thank you and hang up? What more did I want from her? Miss, continued the Tampax lady, are you okay? This was a loaded question. On one hand, I was okay. I had gotten confirmation that I was not pregnant. I was not going to go study abroad like Teresa Caramonico. But on the other, I had also had confirmation that Alyssa, the sexiest girl I knew, had no idea what she was talking about. She was supposed to know everything. After all, she did have big boobs and boys liked her. So if she was faking it and she wasn't really all-knowing, what did that mean? Did anyone really know anything about anything? Oh, I suppose the Tampax lady did it, otherwise she wouldn't have been hired as a licensed period expert, but still. <laughs> I was now doubting the credibility of the entire human race. I needed, to, I needed to answer, so I decided to leave Miss Tampax with a cliffhanger. No, I said. I am not okay. And then I hung up the phone so aggressively. It dinged a little, a truly dramatic ending to a bizarre phone call. If I ever one day spoke of this to my brother, highly unlikely, I would certainly advise him to use the no, I am not okay phone slam in his next creatively licensed film. The conversation with an employee of Tampax was the most informative discussion of sex I had ever had up to this point. This anonymous call with a kind stranger was the most I had opened up to anyone that whole year. Despite the relief I felt from finding out that I was in fact 
not teen pregnant with Jonah Hertzberg's baby, how could I be okay? I was a gargantuan young girl entering her teens during what seemed to be the wrong decade in the wrong town in the wrong state. Everyone else seemed to be reveling in umbros, coloring bad, and New Jersey culture, while I indulged in bell bottoms, Jethro Tull, and Hate Ashbury. Something was definitely wrong with me if the best thing that happened to me all year had been the Gulf War. <laughs> Something was definitely wrong if Alyssa, my confident neighbor, whom I thought of as the next Dr. Ruth, was just as clueless as I was about sex. Something was definitely wrong with my depth perception if I believed a poorly angled, clothed French kiss would cause a fetus to grow inside me. <laughs> Aside from the Tampax lady, I was pretty sure the rest of the human race was just as dumb as I was. <sighs> no one knew anything about anything. No, Ms. Tampax, I was not okay. Thank you. <laughs> Do we have questions for the author? Okay, thank you. <laughs> yeah, hi. Whatever happened to Jonah? Well, he, he's in a few more chapters, and I believe right now, I think we've lost touch, but I think that he lives in Austin and works in the music business, so despite the finger, he's made it in music. <laughs> He was sort of my uh, my ally. Through, he was a very strange kid, but I was strange too. So he was my ally throughout a lot of this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You have really incredible recall. Oh, uh, thank you. Who do you think? Yeah, I was a lot of uh, losers journaled a lot. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so. I have, and I saved a lot of them, and actually that's interesting th thought. I didn't look at them when I wrote this. I tried to go on how I remember it now as an adult. And it's funny because I wrote a lot of this, and then I, I was tempted, and I looked back, and they were not funny. Like, the journals were like, <laughs> one of them, well, maybe it's funny now, but one of them was like, at night, I never need to remove my eye makeup because I've already cried myself to sleep. It's like, things like that. <laughs> It's just every page is filled like that. So I, uh, I decided not, I just decided to write it from an adult perspective because I think it's funny now, but oh my God, those journals are horrible. But I, uh, <laughs> yeah, I did have a lot. Yeah. Um, that's a weird question. I think I started the first incarnation of this like uh, almost five years ago, but then I kind of got it together and then I uh, got the proposal together and the one that sold was about uh, last April. I sold it, and then I, it was finished by around um, uh, recently. I mean, so I guess the whole process was a year to write the book itself, with it having a baby in the middle of that. So there, I mean, there was a little time in between. <laughs> yeah, but I wrote it in about a year. But I started the beginning thoughts of it about five years ago. Yeah. Um, when, so when you came at writing the- uh, Is there water? Sorry, I'm listening. Thank you. Uh, well, I thought it would be easy because I had written versions of, I do a lot of these stories on stage as in storytelling shows, so I thought it would be really easy to just uh, put 
print those stories out, staple them together, and sell it as a book. And uh, that was maybe like 50 pages. So uh, it's really different beast of what I write for the stage and how to make, like this story, I've done it on stage, and I've done it very differently than this. Um, and there's a recording of it somewhere on YouTube. You could see it. It's, it's really different. Um, yeah, it was, I had to stretch things out. I realized that when I read, I can say things in a way that I can convey that emotion, but when someone's reading on the paper, they don't know how I feel. So if I say, um, he walked in and, and he was wearing, and he was wearing khakis, like, you guys know how I feel, but I can't write it like that, so I have to be like, he was walked in, he was wearing khakis. I was really disappointed to see that pant choice, do you know what I mean? It's like, I have to say that, and so that took me a really long time to understand. But when I do it on stage, that's why those stories are so short, because it's just words, and then my, my performance conveys everything else. So I would say it was a really different beast, and I had to take a, a couple classes in memoir writing, and then I even went back um, and then figured it out, because it was completely different, yeah. And have some had some really good people that helped. No. Any other questions? Did the Margot of thirteen Well, I did write every journal and leave it out and I hope that people would find it and then publish it. <laughs> like I would leave them. I, and I would write them in school and my teachers would would be like, what are you reading? Like, and it would be my own journal. And I'd be like, oh, it's just a little something. And then I'd go to the bathroom and leave it, and nobody ever cared. So, and no one read them. Um, and if you read the book, I referenced that book, Go Ask Alice, a lot, which was like the published, teen, published uh, journal of a suicidal teenager. And she was my hero. And, but then I found out that that was a fraud. But I didn't write that in the book. But that's a fraud. It was actually written by a lady that's to teach people about the dangers of drugs. But I, that, the Go Ask Alice, uh, journal writer was my hero. So I guess I did, but I think I thought my journals of the depressed eye makeup were going to get printed. Um, or my poems or my song lyrics, <laughs> but, but nothing did. No. Yeah, so I think maybe, but in a different way. I don't think I, th I thought, I, I, I think I thought I would be a very serious person. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it's recorded already. Yeah, I don't know when it's coming out. Um, it's on, yeah, well in LA it's hard, so in the car it's a great place to listen to, that's, that's a great place to read, is in the car on an audiobook. But yeah, from audible.com it's coming out. I, it should be any day, uh, I, I finished the recording. I auditioned uh, for the role of myself. <laughs> and I booked it, which is great, because I usually don't book my auditions. So, uh, but I got it, and uh, so they let me do it. And, uh, and it's in the can, but it should be out any day now as well, but it's on audible.com. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I was curious about the transition from awkward to comedy. Yeah. Being able to have perspective and just, if there was like a specific time that that happened or like an impetus for that change. Yes. And in fact, I talk about that at, I, I don't want to give it away, but there's something in the book that makes me realize that, that I should do comedy. Um, and. I talk in the book a lot about the quote, uh, comedy is, is tragedy plus time, which is accredited to a couple people, Woody Allen sometimes and Carol Burnett sometimes. I'd like to say it's Carol Burnett because she's my hero, but uh, I don't, we'll, we'll never know. But uh, I, so I think that the, the perspective started probably as I was in college because I was a, uh, almost cool for a moment and then I was able to look back at how horrific it was because I had like a brief moment where I was like oh I mean then I moved to New York and tried to be an actor and I was like right back to here but for like a brief moment I was I, <laughs> I was a, like a little bit cool and I think that gave me some perspective on the bad times and then I started laughing about them yeah I just speak back in person when you were writing it did you have moments even though you're saying you're coming from the adult perspective when you sort of 
Did you have moments though where you were like, sort of like, oh, I don't even know how to like write this, or like, maybe they kind of brought you back to that sort of time period where it was like, it's funny, but you can't kind of get out of it again? Yeah, I, it was really emotional to write this book because I basically relived all the times of my life that I, the wor you know, I mean, not worst. I mean, there's horrible deaths and things like that that aren't, aren't in this book, but I mean, the. You know, the, like, when people stop taking pictures of their kids because they're so weird looking, like that's what this whole book is about, right? Like that whole, it starts right there. <laughs> so, that's where it begins. So, yeah, it was really hard and I think it was really emotional because I had to start thinking about, I mean, my mother just read the book and my mother was like really laughing a lot about it, but she was really upset and she goes, I can't believe how mean those girls were to you. I was so upset by it. And I, and I realized that, yeah, like reliving being taunted and things like that was as an adult was really hard because you just want to forget it and move on, but I couldn't. And so I feel like I was sort of living in the past this past year while I was writing this. Um, but, but I think it's worth it in the end, yeah, yeah. Anything else? Last call. Are there any pictures in the book? <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, and why? <laughs> because they're, I talk about that too, about how my parents uh, didn't have a video camera because they didn't want to preserve, and my brother wouldn't let me in his movies at, after a certain point. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, and how I faked sick on picture day so I wouldn't get my picture taken. Um, yeah, I, there are pictures, but you know, it's before the internet, before digital stuff, so I have a few, but they're not in here. I, I thought about that. They, were, they thought of uh, initially having this called Tales from the Back Row and having the front be like one of my, all of my class pictures, which is just that I'm in the back, you know, row in the corner on the floor. But everyone else is on a riser. But I'm the same height. And then we thought about doing that, but it didn't like read as well, so we didn't do that. Uh, but no, there's no, that was the only time there was going to be a picture, so no, no pictures. <laughs> Anything else? Well, did you change the names of any of the kids in the book? All of them. All of them. <laughs> uh, I've changed everyone's name. I couldn't change my family. Um, like mom is <laughs> dad and I left my brother's name and I left my one friend um, Adriana from college because she asked me to because <laughs> she you know and I think that this is something that I'm realizing now is that like I was so nervous about my mom to read this book and when you guys read it you'll see how my mother is like almost in as this as much as I am and I was so nervous about her to read it and then she read it and she was like oh you know and now told me she's available for signings if I need her and things like that and like she loves that she's in it and I'm realizing that I think people might be offended that they're not uh, like from my childhood so I only I have one person my friend Adriana she asked to keep her name because she's in show business and she was like ah publicity helps but uh, and <laughs> I don't know uh, but I changed everybody else's just because I didn't want to go around and track down all these people from my youth and ask. But I don't really, it's my story, so I feel like I really wrote this book with a very clear conscience, and I don't say anything really personal about anyone else but myself in this. And everybody's, you know, I mean, that kid Jonah, that's not his real name, but he was missing a finger. I'm stating a fact. I'm not making fun of it. It just is true. And that's, that's who liked me, you know? And that's, that was my option. Um, but I'm not, but I'm not like, that's just a fact. So it's not like anything that anyone could come back at me and say, I'm not missing a finger. I mean, he is. He's missing a finger. If take anything from tonight, Jonah is missing a finger. <laughs> but uh, I didn't change anyone else. Any other questions? How much of like editing well, this is my first book, so I, I kind of welcomed a lot of the editing stuff. Uh, 
I also was, re I, I have to say this, which is a crazy, crazy thing, but I, my book was due on October 1st and my son was due on October 14th. And um, Cupid's Bed and Breakfast for Hallmark was due October 8th. So it was like really, and then I had a baby and then my edits were due by Thanksgiving. Um, so as much as I'd like to say I welcomed those edits, I, I really thought I was gonna lose my mind at some point. <laughs> I was like, this is impossible to do. And then I turned it in somehow, I don't even know how. And then I was like, I guess I'm finished. And then they were like, well, and I realized that in the tiny corner it said edits one. And I was like, that means there's a t gonna be a two and a three and a four. And so I think we went four rounds of edits, yeah. So, but this is my first book. So I think I welcomed it at some point. There were some things that they, uh, said that wouldn't read or references people wouldn't get and, and I thought if people get them they get them if they don't they don't. Um, I grew up in a really diverse town there were a lot of uh, uh, Jewish kids and black kids and Hispanic kids and I have reference to certain cultural things from those different cultures and some editors didn't get it but that may be that they weren't raised around that stuff so I just left it because that's what my town was like so things like did you guys know what CCD is that was something they want to take it that's what I'm saying and they they said to take that out that no one would know what that was do you know what it is yeah, it's like, how many of you don't know what CCD is? All right, so most of you do. It's, it's what is it, Catholic? Certified Christian Doctrine. Right, so it's like, it's like Hebrew school for Catholic kids. You get confirmed. What? You get confirmed. Yeah, yeah, so things like that. And I'm like, well, that's just a part of the town I grew up in. Kids went to CCD, so I'm going to leave it in. So yeah, there's a bunch of things um, that they wanted to change that I didn't change. Madawan? Do you know Madawan? I grew up in New Jersey, so. Where did you grow up? That's three different towns. So, oh. Berkeley Heights Summit, and then Locust down by uh, Sandhill. Yeah. Yeah. Atlantic Island's this close to us. Yeah. Is, you, is there a favorite part or two of yours? A favorite part or two of yours in the book? My favorite part of the book? Yeah. I think my favorite. Two parts. One of the parts is the part chapter after this about when I go to horse camp. I think a horseback riding camp is my favorite chapter because uh, it's just so ridiculous that I, why I go and what happens. Like it's just it's something like a it's almost like a Seinfeld episode. It starts with something very small. It snowballs into something really crazy, and it all starts with me going to this horse camp, which I shouldn't have been going to in the first place, and because I didn't even like horses, I just went to fit in and. Uh, so I think that's my favorite chapter, and I think the, the moment in the book, which comes towards the end that I discover comedy, is my other favorite moment. Yeah. Anything else? Yeah. Uh, well, I don't want to brag. We are we did we are working on Cloudy with a Chance of Love for Hallmark. Um, <laughs> I'm not joking. You guys think I'm joking? I'm not joking. I'm not joking. Uh, and the next goal is to sell this as a pilot, and have it go to series and have it. Uh, be on, state, on TV for seven years, minimum. <laughs> and to star, uh, I'll just put it out into either, and to star Laura Dern as my mother. That's it. That's my goal. And when you read my mother, think of her. That's it. <laughs> Anything else? That's a good way to end. Okay. <laughs>